Cats Run Podcast. Top Secret Guest, Episode 2. Today, we're bringing you Part 1 of our conversation with Jillian Bennett. I've known Jillian for a number of years as I have coached and trained with her as she's grown as an individual and an athlete. In 2022, she joined ButcherBox Cycling to race in the American Crit Cup. Some highlights of her 2022 season include winning marathons, running under three hours at Boston, taking the points jersey at the Killington Stage Race, finishing fifth in the most prestigious criterium of the year at Tulsa Tough over a punishing course featuring the famed Crybaby Hill, taking seventh at the National Criterium Championship, followed by taking 13th at the National Road Race Championship just two days later, winning the Gravel World's 50K Run, 150-mile ride double, and taking second place at Winston-Salem. You can follow her on Instagram at Big Ring Bennett, and you can also check out her team at ButcherBox Cycling. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you can check us out at Black Cats Run. This episode is part one of my conversation with Jillian, where we recap the first half of her 2022 season culminating in the national championship weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee at the end of June. We'll be back with a second part of this conversation next week, which will also be the first installment of a series we're introducing to the podcast called Big Ring Bennett, where we will be following along with Jillian as she trains and races through the 2023 season. A lot of the racing we talk about in this episode is rooted in the training strategies and philosophies we explore on other episodes in the podcast. If you want to get a better sense of how Jillian has been able to create these results. Check out our other episodes, especially our finale of our Learn to Fly series, which really explores the development of the kinds of adaptive approaches that are key to Jillian's success in training and racing. Let's get into part one of my conversation with Jillian Bennett. right now. People pick different times to look back. I think we've kind of gotten over the hump of the Instagram tsunami of here's my 2022 and review. People might be a little burnt out on that, but fortunately this is not Instagram reel. We want to highlight in particular benchmarks for how your year went as an athlete, and we can kind of try to remember this together. Let's start maybe with the Hyannis Marathon. When was that last year? March. Beginning of March. Yeah. That was a win. Yeah, IPR ran 258. It was a pretty windy day to say Super windy. <laughs> right? That's on the coast in Cape Cod in the winter. It was a gale. There was a gale warning. And I said, I'm done at 17 miles. Well, I really said I was done at a mile, but then I proceeded to run another 16 miles. And at that point, I was pretty much alone for the rest of the race, running into the wind. And that was pretty close to the course record, I think maybe within a minute. Yeah, a couple minutes in. And I think we went into the race saying, we're going to run this as a training effort, and if we feel good, pick it up a bit, but didn't go out expecting to run under three. And I think that really speaks to how sometimes not putting too much stock into the significance of a race can actually allow you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise think that you could do. Right. And that mentality, I think, is something that 
is important. And one of the things we're going to try to understand in this episode is, you know, how has your perspective on doing athletics changed, especially as somebody who has done a lot of different athletic sports and has found themselves, it seems like, at a point in athletics where maybe you didn't originally visualize yourself going 10 years ago, maybe even six years ago. I've always wanted to be competitive in sport and be at pretty much the highest level that I could accomplish within that or what seemed reasonable. With soccer, growing up, I wanted to play Division One, And that is something that could have been an opportunity or an option for me. But things went in different ways. And that's kind of how I feel right now with my cycling is trying to take it to the highest level possible. As a cyclist, to be out running 258 in the marathon on Cape Cod in the middle of the winter is a little out of the box. That unorthodoxy, which is also, I think, related to some of the concepts we've talked about on other episodes in the podcast too, but that unorthodox approach to athletics is also a theme here because as we look through the rest of that 2022 year, we think about what were the other kind of standout athletic moments. There's some more running in there. It's not just the one run as a lark and then all bike racing. From the Hyannis Marathon, maybe we would go to the half marathon in New Bedford. And that was also another kind of a windy day in some regards in the last few miles, but I PR'd in the half, I think I ran some somewhere around 81 minutes. Yeah, like 6.15 pace, running with the tracksmith Boston, and then Boston Marathon in April. The new Bedford half was like the middle of March, end yeah. of March. And then the Boston Marathon was maybe like a month later. Yeah, so going to Boston, I think I had higher expectations of what I would do, but I think there were a lot of things in in my control, out of my control, that definitely negatively impacted my preparation, starting a new job, moving, things like that around that time. But just to be able to go do the Boston Marathon and still run under, I ran 259, so to run under three hours and feeling like the last five miles of that race that my legs weren't going to work at all or weren't working at all uh, was an interesting experience. Well, hitting the wall without the slowdown that a lot of people associate with hitting the wall, right? And you had done, that was your third marathon since November of 2021. You did the Manchester Marathon. Yeah, when I look back back to it, I realize how much racing I did in that period from November to April. I think we were doing running races. There are a lot of other smaller running races that maybe aren't like particularly, you know, highlight level, but they were sprinkled in there, some shorter races, and then some 30, 30, 50 or 50 kilometer, 30 mile runs in there too. Just training runs through the snow and whatnot. After the Boston Marathon, that's when the cycling season sort of started to transition. And you started last year as a, I don't know what the best term is, but as like a free agent. Yeah. Like you were not affiliated and you had sort of been trying. And I think a part of it is maybe it's hard to break through that, but it's not like you hadn't been trying. Yeah. 
But you join in a race, yeah. you're unaffiliated. It's uh, it's difficult to understand how to get into that scene, I guess. And I had felt like up until this year, I had done a fair amount of bike racing. But if you look back and I look at my road results, you know, I really hadn't done that much bike racing. Like you'd look at my road results and kind of, I don't know, maybe see that I wasn't as experienced. Fortunately, I got linked up with some folks on the ButcherBox team. And initially it started as, uh, you know, we already have our roster set for the year. Why don't you come guest ride with us? And the first race for me would have been in Rochester, in Rochester, New York. That that was a pretty transformative weekend to see that a lot of these people do this. You know, they have other jobs. Some of them don't, some of them do. But they travel, if not every weekend, every few weekends to do this racing series. And I was fortunate enough to have a good result and to really mesh well with the team that they eventually brought me on full time. And so I started the year, you know, I had a few ideas of some racing that I was going to do, but I didn't really have a plan or a concept of what my year would look like at all. Right, you had registered for Unbound 200. Yeah, Yeah. I knew I'd do Unbound 200. I knew I would return to Pro Nationals Road Race, which I had done the year before in 2021. My goal this year was to to finish the road race and to finish with whatever the group was. Make um, the selection. The selection. And, and you know, that's, that's difficult to predict what that's going to look like. You know, is there going to be a breakaway or is it going to finish? Um, like in some years it's finished with, you know, 10 people and then uh, you're, you know, sprinting for the line. Some years there's a breakaway, but I just wanted to stay with whatever the selection was. And so really those two races were what I was looking at. But other than that, I had no real idea of what opportunities would be available for me because racing is very expensive. It's expensive to travel. Looking back, I got very fortunate that I was lucky and I would say lucky enough to be in the position where I met you know, people associated with the team and I had that opportunity. And we should also throw in there that signed up for the Gravel World's double, which is a 50K run and 150-mile ride. And there's a story there, too, that we'll get to that later. (laughs) But the Rochester race was, like, more important in terms of affecting how your year ended up going because... Let's not tell the story of how you ended up getting to that race because that didn't actually play out the way you thought it was and you almost didn't go. And if you hadn't gone, then probably all of these other things wouldn't yeah. have happened and you wouldn't be, you know, looking down the barrel of the upcoming year with anywhere near the same thing. Yeah. So uh, I went to the the local airport here, got dropped off, you know, went to my gate, had an hour or so to spare until we started boarding. And then there must have been some sort of weather going through somewhere in the country that was disrupting flights. And so the plane that was supposed to come get us and bring us to Rochester wasn't going to arrive that night. So all in all, I ended up spending five hours in the local airport. And so they gave me the option to rebook or to cancel. When you look back, you're like, oh, that's so silly. Like, just go home and then regroup. But when you're in a stressful travel situation, it can just totally bring you down. And so because I've spent many nights, you know, at the airport trying to rebook flights or 
or whatnot. I mean, a few days ago, I ran across the LAX airport with my bike back and my suitcase. Like that stuff can be hard. So yeah, my friend picked me up. Well, (laughs) I got a phone call. (laughs) I was like, what the heck? I was supposed to like be in Rochester already at this point. I, I get in the car and I drive to the airport. Then it was very sad because you roll up and there you are standing there with your bike bag, which is about three times your size. <laughs> and you've got your butcher box shirt on. And it was like one of those poignant moments of like, man, you know, you feel for people and they have these expectations and they're yeah. amped up. And then it's like, wow, I can't do this. And you, you train, you run marathons, you run 30 mile runs, you do big rides, you run, you exercise twice a day, and you're doing all this stuff. And when you feel that you're getting close and you're like, well, maybe, and then something just beyond your control pulls out the rug. And then yeah. I don't know, what was your thought process at that time? Oh, I, were you still... I'd say, I think that you weren't really sure that you were going to go. You were just like, this is, oh, well, I guess this just isn't going to happen. Yeah. But so, then that changed. Yeah. You dropped me off at my place and I was just in a horrible mood and I was tired. And, you know, this is, I had packed my bike and brought it on vacation before, but I had never, you know, packed my bike to go to the airport, to go to a race. Like that felt and To really do this exciting. thing that you had yeah. been like trying to yeah. get to, yeah. get your foot in the door and like, I need to be able to show people. Yeah. You know from training and that you know you can do this. Yeah, I wanted to show up. And so, you know, I had some dinner. I unpacked my bike and I said, you know what? Rochester is what, like a five, six hour drive. So I'm just going to get up really early and I'm going to drive there. And um, fortunately, you know, the folks at ButcherBox are obviously very understanding. And they also said, you know, if this is too much, don't worry about it. Like you know, driving five, six hours and then racing the same night, you know, that can really take a toll on you. But I was really determined to make the most of the opportunity. Because you weren't on the team at this point, right? So So people might not know that or be picking up on that, right? This was like a, I mean, it's not literally a tryout, but in a metaphorical sense, it's like a, I got to go. It's like going to a job interview. Like, I got to go. Like these, you've learned yeah. By that point that people aren't knocking down your door to get you to have the opportunity to show what you can do on a bike. Yeah. So I got in the car and I drove to Rochester. Well, it's so it's just so crazy for me to think about now because, you know, everyone else on the team had, you know, gone to team camp and hung out and had formed these bonds. And so I got to our accommodation where we were staying with a family who was super awesome in Rochester. And I get into the house and, you know, Paige, who's on the team, you know, Paige open, you know, welcomed me with open arms and Paige and I had raced against each other a bit in Virginia. We had a lot of mutual friends. So we kind of already had that connection. It was just so cool to me immediately all of these people that I was meeting, whether it was the women's team or the men's team, and everyone was just so welcoming. And so, I mean, I was still nervous. Of course, we had our team meeting and I was like I told my teammates after the fact, like I was literally shaking because there were all of these new things that had never been something that I, you know, was a part of before races. I never sat down and had 
a conversation with teammates. You know, I just did my preparation and, and got to the race. Um, but looking back, I realized that, you know, it wasn't as big of a deal as I made it. But in the t- at the time, it was a big deal to me. Yeah. Well, because there's more to it than just going to a race, right? It's that yeah. sense of, too, you're doing now, a, you know, like the last because of COVID, there weren't the usual number of bike race opportunities for yeah. people. So that, you know, creates a sense of difference. And here you're in a situation where, like there's now more significance mm-hmm. to that because of what that could maybe allow you to do. And you didn't know we had talked about what it might be like, but there's no way to know for sure if you're going to be able to do it until you get out there. Yeah. And what's kind of funny uh, looking back is the last, I would say, like big crit in terms of, you know, it not being one of those weekly training series that we do. The last real big crit that I had done was probably in 2019. And I'm, I'm thinking looking back that it was probably the weekend in Pennsylvania at Westchester, uh, twilight crit. And I got dropped almost immediately. And so looking back at that race and being in the position where I was in Rochester, You know, I was going up against people who I had raced, I guess, if if you can even say race, at Westchester. And now I was about to race a very similar group with the similar teams. You know, some of them might have different sponsors and names now, but it was kind of that that same core group of people. And so that was also very intimidating for me, just thinking back to that race, having, you know, gotten dropped off the back after a few laps into the race of that race you just weren't even in it at any point yeah just off basically on on the back and dangling and they just couldn't get in the race and when you carry that and you did do that other race during the afternoon the next day but that was more of a you know the the race in the evening was a was one of the usa crit series races when that was USA crits were still a thing. So this is kind of like not USA crits now, but it's sort of the, it's the replacement essentially for that Yeah. to go out and you're racing with the team. And so then what we've talked about this kind of 20 minute rule <laughs> that you can't really tell what it's going to be like for you until you get through the first 20 minutes. Yeah. So and I applied this recently and we'll probably talk about that in a little bit, but just this, this concept that a lot of times in crits, it's kind of full gas for at least like the first 15, 20 minutes. And I always say to myself, if, you know, even if I'm feeling bad, if I just make it through the first 20 minutes, I should be fine. And that might not always be true. And at this point in Rochester, I had no idea if that would be true. The race, I mean, I guess I can kind of talk a little bit to the race itself. Um, I got a call up in that race, which for those of you who are listening, uh, a call up is just as we're lining up for the race uh, and they're making announcements, they'll usually call up like eight to 10 riders, depending on how wide the start area is. Um, And usually it's because they have, you know, they're the former 
collegiate national champion on the road or, you know, for some of our races, we have, you know, pro national champs lining up. And so uh, I don't know why, but they decided, you know, call me up. Um, The reasoning behind it was I had been a rider that had progressed from Cat 5 to Cat 2 in one year in 2019. Um, Which is pretty good for people who don't know. You have to go out and you have to be finishing consistently at the front or winning races. And especially if you're not somebody who does every single race available, you really have to make the most of your opportunities. So a lot of folks might spend a number of years grinding, but to be able to blast through that. And the only other person I know off the top of my head that did that is my brother Camden, who just blasted straight through from category whatever to category five or one in one racing year. Yeah. And I guess the thing about that, and we'll talk about this, is that I spent 2019 was my first year racing. And I spent so much of that year traveling for races in my car and doing collegiate racing and doing what we would call domestic <clears throat> racing. Right. Right. The, the USA cycling races where you can go and you can get upgrade points. Right. And obviously there are races you can do outside of that. Yeah. The Rochester race, right? So how did that end up playing out? Because there's all this build up. You miss your flight. You're not going to go. You decide you should go because it might not be that great to be in the car. But this opportunity is something that you've been waiting to get something like this for a while. So you go. And then there's this whole different environment around getting prepped for the race. People are talking Right. It's a race where people are now using radios. Right. So there's all these other features. And then there's that, you know, 20 minute thing of like, well, first 20 minutes, you got to get through the first 20 minutes and then you can see what happens. And how did that end up playing out? Because you've got the call up. And so like everything is just like building and building and making it seem, you know, like, oh, my God. Right. Instead of coming in with this sort of. I'm here, I'm doing my thing. And so now like you've got all of the pressure screws are being tightened all the way down. We go to the race in a team van. We have all of our bikes. We have staff members who are taking our bikes out of the car for us, making sure everything's set to go. You know, some of the team members, uh, one of the guys, he had an extra pair of 100% glasses. So he gave those to me because at this point, you know, not being an official member, I didn't have, you know, all of the things uh, that I would have gotten at team camp. So even just getting a pair of glasses that was kind of in line with what my soon to be teammates have, it made me feel nervous in a sense because it made me feel more of an official, but I wasn't really sure if I'm, you know, up to snuff here. And so standing around the team car, we also had Chris Shane, uh, who also lives in New Hampshire, uh, amazing photographer, videographer. Uh, Chris Shane was there shooting some promo for our brand sponsors. And, you know, having him take photos and video of us uh, also made me super nervous. It made me feel really important. Uh, but it also made me feel nervous. So there were all these things also leading up to the race. So we go to the race and I get this call up 
And, you know, I had done races before, but nothing like this where people are really, you know, gathering near the start line and looking at us. Um, it was I also knew that it was being streamed um, online, which is also nerve wracking. Right. You don't want to like fall over at the start line. And so the race kicked off and I had a really hard time the first bit trying to move up, um, not physically, but just mentally uh, feeling like I was there. And then there was, I believe, with the ACC, the American Crit Cup, uh, there are intermediate sprints. So in seven, we were seven laps in. And, you know, at the end of the season, I that's something that, you know, I would line up or my teammates would line up to try to contest those points. Uh, but at the beginning of the season, I honestly had no clue what was going on in regards to these points and how it worked. It had been briefly explained, but, you know, when you haven't been in it, you don't really get the concept of what's going on. So those points, uh, the sprint points happened. And then I believe somebody attacked or or something happened. And I started to, I was near the front at this point, And I was able to kind of connect the group and bring bring it back is what we would we would say and bring it back for my team and somebody then, has to go right because yeah. some people who are listening might not have done any bike racing so yeah. right in cycling we say you know bridging a gap yeah bridging you know, or to go across and why is that for people who don't know why is it necessary for some person to do that for other people yeah so it would have been important for me to bridge if there was so if there's a breakaway which is what we would define as uh, a few people um going as we would say up the road establishing so a they're, gap they're, over the they're, rest they're of the making field. a gap between themselves and what we would call the peloton or the main group and so bridging is when you kind of go across to them without trying to bring other people with you. So riding in a manner that doesn't allow other people to draft off of you. So that would mean almost having to sprint in order to create space. Um, what I was doing was bringing it back. So I was just purposely riding hard and bringing everyone else with me, knowing that my teammate who we were riding for, uh, Andrea, uh, would still be in that group. And so as I brought that back, Andrea and a few other folks actually attacked. And so her and it might have been three or four other riders uh, were able to get in a break and so or a breakaway. So at that point, my job was to try to chase down any riders that were trying to bridge because we had representation in our team in that breakaway. So we were fine with letting that breakaway go. Um, and that meant that we were trying to stop other people from attacking that. And so I was really surprised with myself and almost my natural instinct because I had never rode on like a team before where I was doing this for people. I think because I've watched a lot of cycling, I understood this concept. We had radios in our ears. So we also had team management giving us instruction, which is very helpful. Um, so I was able to you know, chase down riders who thought that they were going to be able to bridge. And so in that way, I was able to be pretty effective for my team. And in the end, I believe I got top 10 in that race. The break stayed and Andrea actually ended up getting on the podium for the race, but taking the overall points 
for the American Crit Cup, which was pretty cool to feel like I was already able to help in that effort. Um, because if she was in that breakaway and someone was able to bring it back like I had, she might not have been able to have the energy to then go again and, you know, place where she placed. So that was also really funny thinking back now to we finished the race and, you know, we were all super stoked and we we're standing around and Paige goes, so can she like be on the team now? And thinking back to that, I just in that moment, I already felt a part of the team uh, in a sense. And well, because so, you did the things that you need to do yeah. to be a part of the team yeah. and you did them at the level of proficiency that matched the level of the race. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. And from that point on, you know, I was considered a member of the team and was able to have access to all the 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 benefits that you get from being a part of a team like that. Moving forward, I guess the next race is Killington. Yeah. So Killington stage race, Uh, the Killington stage race. I had decided that was one of the races I knew I would do before being a part of the team. So uh, the team was great. And they were like, yeah, go do your thing. Even though some of them were racing down, I think, and that was probably Somerville weekend. So I went and did the Killington stage race as a solo rider. The first stage is the circuit race, which I had won as in the I had one in 20, what was that, 19? 19. <laughs> 2019 in the Cat 345 race. And uh, that circuit suits me pretty well. It's a little punchy and the finish is kind of a slight uphill into a flat where there can be more of an attritional sprint. In um, 2019, you just sauced it up the hill. Yeah. And that's what's interesting about cycling is people find a certain kind of a course or terrain that suits them and they just really understand it it just like makes sense yeah and it was sort of like a reenactment it was of that same (laughs) strategy yeah so there was a group of people who went up the road early early ish in the race in my head I had kind of decided this isn't gonna stick but then I looked around and realized there had been some riders that had been caught up in a crash and so that really reduced the field and so at that point I decided I was going to have to bridge eventually. I don't even remember how many laps in, but eventually I got back to the group. I had think they had been like over a minute up at that point, maybe even more. It was a pretty, it was not an insignificant gap. It might've been a minute 45 going through the feed zone. Yeah. And so at that point I thought, oh, maybe my day's over, but luckily I was able to get back on especially on some of the the flatter parts i kind of just went into i guess tt mode or what we would call like time trial mode and you have all that that's where the marathon conditioning comes in because when you've done these running races and these marathon races the idea of just going into a steady effort you know and you don't you're not thinking about other people giving you assistance or helping to share the work, that's a mental skill that you can pull out. Yeah, so I was able to settle in to a good pace um, and I could see them up up the road at one point and I kind of knew how much I would need to put in without just totally burning myself for the end. And so then I was able to get back into the group and then I did the same thing 
that I did in 2019 and attacked at a similar spot and was able to hold off them in the spring. Then the next day is the hillier day. I decided it was important for me to make sure I kept the sprint points jersey. There are points along the course and at the finish line that you can get where you sprint to get points. Thing I sp sprinted to get the points and then there was this immediate super steep uphill and that was just one of those days where physically I could have been in the break with the the group of lead riders where I was positioned up that super steep climb I got caught behind a lot of people that's just one of those learning moments where in the future I would know okay at that point in the course like I need to be with those those folks I still didn't finish that far off of the lead riders going up the larger climb and then in the final day was a time trial, which not having a time trial bike can be a disadvantage. Killington, uh, it was a good experience. I love racing in Vermont. So you did the Killington Stage Race Memorial Day weekend and then Unbound. So the weekend after Killington, we went out to Emporia, Kansas, Unbound 200. And we paid attention to the signs that tell you to line up <laughs> based on your hours. And we're like, well, this is... 200 miles yeah and it's not a road race like what's the big deal yeah and so we lined up kind of almost at the back and, and then... right because apparently everybody decided <laughs> they were going to do the race under 12 hours yeah so we lined up almost at the back and then we're riding out of town on the road and just people are passing us and people are flying and then i think we literally ended up at the back yeah we were it's supposed to be neutral yeah and then nobody gave a fuck <laughs> Yeah, so we were at the literal back of the race. And so then we spent what felt like a really long time just moving up past people. And everyone has different perceptions of like what they're going to do. And especially if you've never done a race like this, I think we were also, we were taking a bit more conservatively because we had never rode 200 miles. I think we had planned to do a 200 mile ride earlier in the spring. And then we went out. And I think I had just gotten over COVID and that was horrible. <laughs> and for some reason or another, we didn't end up doing that ride. So we literally had never rode. I think my longest ride up to that point had been 132 miles. And that was by accident. But you got to yeah. pick your strategy, right? You have to decide you can do. And you showed up too at the check-in. And I think I alluded to this in some other anecdote, smaller anecdote in another episode, but showing up at the check-in and you get your your number plate and yours said pro on it. And we were like, you know, I was like, what? Yeah. And then so, we look at the website and you're listed. I'm like, that's so weird. Nobody said to you, oh, we're going to list you as pro. Yeah. And it's one of those, well, I guess don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, if they want to yeah. say you're pro, you're, you're pro. But you're not going out there with this mindset of, oh, yeah, I got to go and line up at the front. And again, like you're saying, when you haven't been going out and doing 200 mile ride you don't necessarily have a sense of like oh yeah i own this distance that i'm gonna go up there and i'm gonna i'm ready to get out there and be an ass kicking machine you're kind of like i need to avoid kicking my own ass by mistake and so we settled on the strategy of well you know if we can maintain about this tempo then the most efficient way possible is to do that by going out and sort of trying to just ride the effort relatively even the whole way. That, you know, is a great strategy for 
gravel races based on what we've done, but there were other things that <laughs> got in the way. Different like, dynamics. Different dynamics. And I mean, one of the dynamics was that there were certain mud sections that the mud was awful. It would be something that you'd call, you know, hike a bike where you're literally hiking with your bike on your shoulder. And, you know, I'm five, two on a good day. And my bike is, first of all, the, the clay there, the mud was. Yeah, it's not mud. It's, it's clay. It's yeah. It's clay. It's not so, like mud in New England. It's no. totally different. Yeah. It was weird. It was messed up. And so the clay would stick to your bike and so it made my bike incredibly heavy. And then you have everything else on your bike as well, um, especially being not, you know, I might have had pro on my number plate, but I wasn't I didn't have, you know, support in the feed zones or area. So I had to carry more than probably most of the, the people considered to be pro, which is fine. But carrying my bike for, I think the first one had to be at least a mile where we were carrying our bike. It took bikes. me, according to my Strava, it took me 35 minutes. Yeah. But that was partly because I kept thinking, oh, this is probably over. Here's this puddle. Let me try to wash my bike yep. off. And then it wasn't over. Yeah. And a few times I tried to ride. And so I guess after the fact, you learn that like the first people who went through that area were able to really ride through it. And then just so many people going through it just becomes unrideable. So after that, I actually met a group of, of guys uh, who I was able to ride with for a while. They were great because they just kept a pretty even tempo. And then went through the feed again and people were saying in, the, in the, the feed zone area, I heard people say, oh no, there's no more like sections where you're going to have to walk. That like, was a lie. Yeah, that was a lie. There was another section where it was shorter, but it was still pretty long. I stayed with that group and we stayed with each other until the end. And what was super funny was in the last like mile or so, there was a guy in front of me who wasn't a part of our group and he took a wrong turn and we were kind of in, I think it was a, was it a college near Emporia or like a school? There was some sort of school. It seemed like it was, you were going through some sort of a campus. Yeah. So there was a campus. It might have been like a medical so campus. So like the turns but... weren't super obvious and there was, I don't think there was really any signage. And at that point you're just totally cracked. You've been out there for so many hours. We were out there for over 13 hours. And so the guy in front of me went straight instead of taking left and I followed him and the guys who were in my group were like, Jillian, no, no, no. So I like turned around and I guess we, and then we're all just laughing because, you know, we're a mile from the finish line at this point. It's paved, you know, we're all happy that we're just making it back. Fast forward to like August when I, I was in Indianapolis and I went into the local running store because that's, you know, something that runners and cyclists do. We like go into cycling stores or running shops wherever we go even if we don't need anything just because we like to look at that stuff and I went into the store in Indianapolis and I this guy he had a shirt on that said gravel and or something like that super nice guy he's like the store manager and we were chatting and found out he did Unbound, all this stuff, whatever. Oh, yeah, I finished around 13 hours. Oh, yeah, me too. That's funny. Like, we might have, you know, ran into each other. And he, and he goes, yeah, it was really funny. Like, about a mile from the finish, I actually went straight instead of taking a left. And I was like, no way, man. That, like, I was right behind you. Like, I followed you. And I was like, you know, kind of giving him shit. Like, 
you almost totally messed up my race. Like I almost got lost in Emporier, but it was, it was just so funny how small, yeah, Unbound was crazy. Like going back to it or doing races similar, I'm able to, to think differently about it, knowing now that I can do the 200 mile distance. And honestly, after the race, you feel like it, it didn't take that long, which is, I guess, kind of silly to say. Oh, it might be sacrilegious to say this, but I didn't really think it was as hard as no. people made it out to be. No. I mean, like, it's hard to be outside, do any kind of physical activity from dawn to dusk. Yeah. But, I mean, running the marathon uh, is harder than doing yeah. Unbound. Your body just doesn't fail in the same way. But I also think, too, though, we're looking at, because we do a lot of the training, the same training, right, we have that phenomena of like well we both did 30 mile runs and we both had reached that you know in a general sense that marathon conditioning standpoint and so then yeah the bike ride's really long but you know you have it's different expenditure of energy of access to stuff you can coast you can draft like it was weird just not feeling as dead as you would think yeah like i always think back to one run that we did last winter and it was a 30 mile run we ran out of water with like i don't know maybe seven miles to go and both of us spent the rest of the run like either we were silent or we were saying to the other person i am so thirsty right now and honestly, I don't know why we didn't just like start eating snow off the ground. I don't know if there was enough snow. Thinking about that versus, you know, I'm on my bike. I have water. I have food. I remember eating fruit snacks, which are like my favorite and being like, I'm fine. You know, I will make it back. But in a run like that, you're so thirsty and you're so tired and you start to get in this state. Like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this run. Like I literally might die out here. When, Which is irrational, but when you're in that state, it's totally, totally believable to you. Like, you well, can totally like the whole it. mental toughness stuff, like, is kind of overrated. Like, it can only take you so far. But yeah, you know, we did another top secret guest episode, and we had talked about the idea of being in a zone of proximal development and, you know, having sorts of different experiences of failure is where you get better at things. And so on the one hand, you know, you have to do the stuff to maintain the training and maybe not all of that training maintenance to, you know, maintain the same benefits of that 30 mile runner there. But there's also levels at which we're learning things about, you know, how we're choosing, how we're going to be able to respond to adversity And well, when you're in a situation like that and you're, I mean, in those runs, you're talking about running for close to five hours. So it's not a inconsiderable, it's a pretty significant length of run. And you're doing that without water. I'm not, wouldn't recommend trying to do that stuff without water, but sometimes you fail, right? You fail to have enough water and you learn, you're taking these things from it and you get in these other situations and now you have this different capacity because of that. Sometimes your legs just completely give out on a run and you can't really do much about it. At least in rides, like you were saying, you can draft and you can soft pedal, uh, you can coast. But in a run, your legs could just give out and you, you have to walk. And I experienced that a few months back, maybe we were out running and building back into having like more consistent long runs. Oh, yeah. And 
we got to mile 20 or something, 21, and I just couldn't run anymore. Like a couple miles before, I have this thing where, you know, I can ride a bike proficiently through the woods or on gravel roads, but for some reason I love to trip. Especially when, when, when there's nothing to trip over. Yes, exactly. And so I tripped when we were on this gravel road. There was like a stone. It was pretty big. And I just put my toe right into it and I tripped. And at that point, I knew I was super tired. My legs were beginning to shut down and we got to mile 20 or 21 and I just could not run anymore. So I walked for a mile or so and waited for you and our, our other buddy to come pick me up when you were done with your run. Sometimes things like that happen. And, you know, I went for a nice walk that day. But yeah, it it redefines what considered difficult. Going from Unbound, the next big race would have been Tulsa, which is kind of considered like... That was also then the next weekend. So that was the next weekend. So you've got... Flew from Kansas back home to New Hampshire, hung out for a few days, and then flew back out west ish midwest to tulsa that's like the big the biggest race weekend of the year criterium and in the states right now it might be one of the highest profile bike race road bike events period yeah so going out to that you know that was that would have been only my second race with the team as well so i was still kind of getting adapted to being a part of a team and that that team dynamic and all the things that go around that. So I arrived, I don't I arrived late at night and caught an Uber, got to the the accommodation and with with the other girls. And then in the morning I woke up and I actually felt a little bit less nervous because there was also a new rider, Hana, who's from the Czech Republic. Her and I kind of hit it off because her and I were both kind of trying to figure out what, you know, what's going on and what are the what are the dynamics like. But the Tulsa weekend, to, to say that that Friday night race, so Friday night is Blue Dome um, in a really cool part of Tulsa in the Arts District. Blue Dome is a really fast course. It's super hard to move up. And I think we had like, we had to have at least 100 people in the field. Those big races, those are probably, those are very big fields. Yeah. Which for a crit, you get over... I mean, they are what they are, but the reality is the races are, for what it really is, like, they're probably, like, too big. Yeah, it's, like in general. and everyone agrees, everyone agrees that once you get over that, I mean, okay, I'm not Even if you're over 50 everyone. people, I think it just starts to become, it's insane. Yeah, I would say, like, the threshold, at least for me, would be, like, 80. And then you get over 80, and it's just really hard to move up. Um, especially if it's a fast course. If it's a nutritional course, it's not as big of a deal. Blue Dome was kind of wild. There were a lot of crashes in our field, which was super unfortunate. Yeah, some folks just got unlucky in like where they were and there were some potholes and whatnot. I mean, that's normal, but it just seemed like it just really freaked me out how much crashing there was. And so Blue Dome was over and then we're, I guess, well, that race, my drop my chain in the last lap like I was with the front group of there was like 15 of us or something and then going into like the second to last turn my chain just dropped you know couldn't contest the sprint whatever it was fine I was a little bummed but I was just honestly glad to make it out of that night without crashing got back to the team car and then had been there for a bit and some of the guys came over and the men's race had been even worse one of my teammates Sam he was just 
like totally his kit was destroyed and he was just super cut up and then a couple of our other guys were getting help with like the ambulances or whatever were there so overall it was just that really freaked me out and it was a really crazy night decided to regroup you know go to sleep wake up the next day and it's it's interesting like whether it's a bad race a crash whatever you wake up the next day and you usually feel fine and for some reason you're really stoked to do it again so uh the next day we went out to I think this was like called the arts district race and so we went out to the arts district and it was a bit more of a traditional race same thing like a couple of crashes but it was generally pretty good and then I think in that one I finished top 10 for the race and that was pretty exciting because unlike Rochester which was a smaller field this race had you know, pretty much everyone that I could think of who does crit racing in the U.S. And then there were also a few people, uh, folks from Canada who ride at the highest levels. And then there was also a couple, I think there was at least one Australian team that I know of. So there are people from all over. So you want to show your stuff. This is where you go to do it. Yeah. So this is like one of the races. And so going into the final day, I felt really positive. And, you know, at this point I had somehow was able to recover from unbound and I felt fine. You can attribute it to the training. And so went into the last day, which is Crybaby Hill. Crybaby is an experience uh, both as a race and as a spectator. Crybaby. Hmm? We should frame this, right? So like within the Tulsa Tough yeah. weekend, this is the which race. is like the big race, within that, the Crybaby Hill circuit is the race yeah. Within the event. Yeah. So this is the final day and it's the race because it is the most attritional. So the course itself um, starts into a right hander up a pretty steep pitch and then into a more of a gradual hill. You drop down a bit and then you hit a one little kicker up, take a right hander, sharp da- downhill into a sharp right hand corner. Uh, to the finish so in every part of the course it's hard like even the downhill is difficult because you want to find a good position to take that turn I have a teammate Rachel who I always say is like the safest wheel in the peloton and she's just super savvy she's a really good like bike handler if we want to say that's like a skill But Rachel always knows like the best lines to take in the races because she's done them so many times. So she said, you know, this part of the course, you want to be here. You'll be able to move up here. This part of the course here, you want to be here on the downhill. Take this line because of this X, Y, and Z, right? So taking her advice, I, for such a big race, I was able to find myself like being able to really move up on the hill regardless and to stay safe on the downhill because there were some incidences on the downhill as well. The race itself is really difficult. It was also met with, I think it was over 100 out. It was pretty, it was pretty humid as well. And then it was also met with the fact that this race draws in a lot of uh, college students from the area. It's party time. It's party time. And this year the theme was uh, like beach or something. So they're all... Well, the real theme is getting drunk as hell and blacking out. But then there's the 
theme around that to make yeah. it more exciting to do yeah. that. And it and it was cool, you know, having all these people cheer us on, but having lots of intoxicated people at a bike race also means that people can do stupid shit. And so a girl walked across the street in flip-flops at one point, lost one of her flip-flops and then turned around to get the flip-flop as we are going down the hill. And I was kind of near the front at this point because it was nearing the end of the race. And I'm thinking, I'm going to run into this girl and then everyone's going to crash into me. So that part was not super fun, but the atmosphere is really cool to have, even if they are all super drunk. It's fun to have a lot of people cheering you on. But uh, the race itself, uh, the last lap, I was able to move up at the bottom of the hill and be near the front. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling like you might not look behind you but you can feel you can feel others presence around you it's that race sense you start to have that kind of awareness where it feels like the spidey senses but it's probably more so that your brain is still processing stuff but because you're tired and you're working hard you don't have that same level of awareness of what you're processing but you still are picking up on these like competitive signals. Yeah. So I'm picking up that there really aren't that many people around me. And I'm thinking, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why am I near the front with these particular riders? You know, and we're going up kind of the last, we're going on the downhill to the last pitch. I remember being like, why the hell am I here? And so even that like slight hesitation made me like in my mind made me really physically hesitate to like get on those wheels. Right. So if this was this year, I probably would boom immediately get on the wheel. But because I had this lack of experience, I guess you want to call it. Well, when you find yourself in a position that you don't expect to find yourself in, sometimes we don't know what to do or we can't, we have to accept that we're in that position fast enough to then make a decision. But especially, I mean, in running it's true, but and cycling because literally everything is happening at significantly greater speeds. Yeah, and the race is the race. You need to follow. You know, the you front have of to make race. that decision instantaneously, and then you lose the opportunity to get in the draft, and then yeah, you might be screwed, and then you're going to spend the last 300 meters thinking you're what an idiot you were. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And so I ended up getting fifth. Um, so the group of four riders who gapped me on that last little uphill where I was thinking, what, what is going on? You know, they took off and on the downhill. And so then I was able to out sprint the other people, other riders who had been around, around me, you know, I finished the race and the first thought was, holy crap, I need to go get some water. And I like sat down on the side and some nice lady gave me a bottle of water because it was so hot. And then I'm thinking, did I, First of all, I'm thinking, did I really just get fifth? Like, that's kind of crazy considering the caliber of riders and where I have myself relative to these riders kind of in my head. So I was pretty excited. But looking back now, I'm like, wow, what if I had just decided that I was meant to be there? And honestly, that's that's kind of half the battle in these races. You know, you need to come in with the fitness Uh, to be able to keep up right you're not going to be able to just will yourself to win a race but the other half is being able to say no I belong here like my fitness has shown me this I should be able to race and beat these people it's the yin and yang of 
there are cognitive skills, you know, which I think is a better word than, you know, mental skills. Because yeah. I think cognitive skills, it's like we're learning those through our experiences. But then we also need the fitness in order for that to be possible. But then we're developing the cognitive skills and the fitness skills in the same way. And like, there's an element of the the training that, you know, we go out and do is not super formulaic. And, you know, it's sometimes very, I mean, not in a free spirited sense per se, but it can be very spontaneous of people just putting the hammer down and then riding, you know, for you riding with people who are super strong and people in particular who might just be, have a ton of power in areas where you're just at like a disadvantage, you know, if just like on a pound for pound basis, you know? And so then you go and you see, right. You know, you're talking about this basically going from, and the Rochester crit was what a week or maybe two weeks before the, the Killington stage race. Yeah. And then, and then you go from like that and then you go to Killington <laughs> and then you go to unbound and then you go to Tulsa and it's like, Within that space, it's climbing the ladder. And a part of that seems like these skills that have been developed without even realizing they were being developed. Mm-hmm. But you can look back and say, wait a minute, I was able to transfer so much of this stuff that I didn't know I was putting in my tool belt. And a reflection of that is I'm climbing this ladder really, really quickly in terms of adjusting to this. And I'm finding myself within a few weeks of doing this, of being like, oh, wow, I just missed my chance of sprinting for the podium at this like high watermark criterion for the whole year. And that's not just coming out of nowhere. There's a lot of backlog. And obviously these are things to explore at, at length at other times, but right? Like that's coming to play there because the decision-making, you can make decisions because you have that marathon level of conditioning. You're able to see those possibilities because of the other things you've, you've done to make, uh, to have the awareness of what those are in the first place. Yeah. So fast forward, I guess, uh, there was a weekend off. So we left Tulsa. There was a weekend off, uh, for me and then nationals. And so nationals, I decided to do the crit and the road race. So the crit was on Friday night. I had rode parts of the crit in the road race. Last year, you had not, you had just done the road race. (laughs) Yeah, I just did the road race. And so uh, the crit itself, like you're racing against a lot of similar people. And so the crit kind of feels more like a circuit race because there's less of that turning. It's wide open. Um, So the crit, I guess... It ended with, I got top 10. I think I got seventh or eighth or something. So, And you're riding in to seventh up against people with world tour jerseys on. Yeah, world tour too. jerseys. So there's a whole other level of sensory input. you have teams like Legion of Los Angeles who have, you know, strong representation in the crit, who have like a full squad with a lead out train. And so it was just Paige and the way that the season shaked out. Uh, it was just Paige and I in the, in the crit, which was fine. Uh, and so I was, you know, on the Legion train probably with 
would have been probably 800 meters to go. And just the way this was one of those moments where because of Tulsa, I was like, no, I deserve to be here. And I was there. And that was really cool. So it's one of those learning moments. And then as bike racing goes, sometimes something happens and it will negatively affect you. And then sometimes you get lucky and things will positively (laughs) affect your race. And so I just happened to get boxed in at the wrong spot with at the third turn to go. It sort of goes boom, boom, boom. It goes like a sequence of turns, which really sets up a need for positioning coming into the home stretch. And up the hill. And so I had been moving up a lot on the hill throughout the race. And so I thought if I can get there and I can be fifth, sixth wheel, I'll have enough room to move up. Um, And I was there. And then the person to my left, I think, kind of boxed me in. What am I supposed to do? Go into the barrier to get around, right? So that was one of those moments where, you know, you leave the race a bit disappointed, but you know that, okay, if I can do some more, you know, thinking about what's going to happen at the end of the race, where do I need to be in future years and future races, I can have a better result. But it was, it was really awesome to feel like, no, I really felt like I should be where I am right now. And you're going you're starting to really see you're having consistent result 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 and then framed by the fact that you're just doing all of these races in sequence which I think conventional wisdom would say is just not realistic and there needs to be this incredible recovery intervention blah blah blah. But you can't argue with the results. The results are the results. Yeah, I think that you can you can race. I think racing back to back to back to back is like in some sense really good because your your mind and body, you know, is getting like used to racing, I guess. And you're kind of if we want to call it like in the zone of racing, I think that over a course of a really long season, you can get kind of I don't know if. We want to call it burnout, but you can, you know, experience ups and downs where you're kind of like, "Hmm, maybe I need a break now. But at this point, this was all really exciting. And physically, I was where I needed to be. And so did the crit and then the road race. So that was Friday night, the crit. The road race is on Sunday morning. So if we look back to... 2021 there wasn't much racing still going on in 2021 but the national championship did happen on june and so went with the expectation of just trying to i guess i'm just going to make it go around as much as i as i can the goal is always to walk away from any race being able to feel like i did what i was capable of doing which maybe sounds sort of like a bucket of piss but you know, the reality is, is, you know, you can only control so many things and in running and cycling and any, and even when your role as an athlete, on a, if you're doing a team sport, you have to look and say, what are the things I realistically can affect? And one of those things is I, if whatever, I need to be able to walk away from every race and feel like there was nothing else that I could have realistically done to have, you know, shaped a better outcome based on the circumstances that because everybody else is out there trying to shape their own result too. And that's that milieu of the race. And when you talk about, you know, if people experiencing burnout, 
that's a part of it too, is having a mindset where you're thinking about it in, in the right way. You go up that hill and, you know, the last year you had been able to do, I think maybe five or six five of the laps. laps. Yeah. And this year the course is a little bit shorter. So they added maybe another lap. Yeah. So. And you're hitting the hill. 20, There's this key yeah. feature of the hill and you're hitting that now with even more frequency. So it's like, okay, this is going to, if anything, this is going to be more physically demanding in a, as a race course and a race than it was the previous year. Yeah. So 2021, I probably made it four ish laps with the group. And then there was probably a lap or two that I was with a smaller group of people who had gotten dropped. And then what they do is then they'll pull people out of the race because the circuit is, it's not like a crit. It's not about a mile long. It's a little longer than that. Right. But still there's that possibility that the lead group will go past. And so they don't want to cause chaos of trying to figure out who's where. So I get that aspect, but it was really disappointing for me to leave that race thinking, you know, I couldn't even make it all nine laps. Fast forward to this year, they shortened the course because there was construction going on in one of the neighborhoods you'd typically go through. And so this meant that in addition to me, you know, with this new goal of trying to get around with the group, it also meant that I had to go up the Sherrod Road climb 10 times <laughs> instead of nine. And, you know, I could barely do five last year. So that was pretty nerve wracking, despite all of this evidence that showed that I was at a different fitness level at a different race level. Sherrod is starts with a steep pitch and then levels off steep pitch levels off so it's a pretty challenging but short climb um, and it can really make or break the race so this year we went around as a group a few times and then a friend of mine who ends up winning the race Emma Langley uh, who rides for the world tour team uh, EF Tibco she attacked going up the hill and her and a couple other riders took off with her and at this point you know I don't feel like I'm in a position where I can really go with them. I was kind of at like the back of the reduced group at that time, but I knew that's where I needed to be anyways. So they went off and my goal at this point was just to be able to finish with the group. I figured that this breakaway would probably stay given my result the year prior. I saw it as a reasonable goal that, you know, I'm, I'm, I can finish with this group and that would be really big if I can do this. And to be fair, it's not like in a bike race, you can just decide, oh, well, there's a group there. I'm just going to go there. Yeah. And that's because what, and people I, like won't let won't necessarily let you do that. Yeah. And that's what I was just about to say is, you know, even if I had tried to ride them down or ride across or whatever, you know, there were really only two possibilities. Either one was that Emma's teammates would be bring it back, right? Like I was talking about earlier in Rochester or that I would just completely blow up and then I would have no opportunity to finish with the group at all. So I stayed in with the group and then the last time up the climb, I mean, it was a really small group at that point. So there was, at that point, there were two people up the road. One of the people that had been in the break uh, had to drop out of the race. And so there were two people up the road and then I ended up finishing 13th on the day. So that means there were like 11 of us 
in that final group. There was probably like 15 to 20 of us going up the hill that last time. Like I said, even though it's a two to two and a half minute climb, it you can just get dropped so fast. And so I got up the hill at the very back of what ended up being the group with one of the EF riders. And, you know, the group was right there, but going down the hill and onto the flats, one of the other EF riders, the former national champion, uh, Lauren Stevens, attacked, actually. And I found that out after the fact. I was like, whoa, we're riding so fast down this. Emily, who's a part of EF, and I kind of rode back up near the group. They were right in my, like, sites like they were right there for those of you that don't watch cycling there's like what is called the convoy of cars teams will have team cars with extra bikes wheels so if somebody gets a flat tire they can replace it right there on the road and so the convoy was right behind the group Emily kind of jumped in between the cars and went to the and so in my mind I've never done a race like this really before like been a part of it and so this is one of those learning moments like I didn't know that that was allowed. And in my mind, I was really worried like, okay, so if I like ride behind the cars, am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to get disqualified? Well, you should be getting disqualified. And you read about people on the world tour and or you see in the races, you're not allowed to take pace from the vehicles. The problem is it's one of those rules that the race commissaire may or may not enforce that. But the reality is you're not allowed to draft off of the vehicles to get back into the race. That's technically against the rules. And and that's not what she was doing. She was just like jumping in between them to get back. Like she wasn't taking pace, but in my mind it was taking pace like, or that I would be doing that because there was no like physical way that I was going to be able to ride around this big stretch of cars. She wasn't taking pace, but I didn't understand kind of what she was doing because she was just riding around one, making sure she was safe, riding around the other, making sure she was safe going. Whereas I thought, okay, I need to wait until like it clears up and I can go. And so that's one of those learning moments where maybe if I had, you know, known that or had that experience before, I would have been able to easily just jump back into the group. Like they were right they were probably a hundred meters in front of me, which isn't maybe 50 meters in front of me. Like it wasn't that far. And so instead I kind of paid the price for that and essentially TT'd my way back onto the group just as they were finishing. Say, you know, I finished with the group and, but that was one of those things where that was a learning moment for me for sure. But it was still really exciting to, although I felt like I kind of messed up there, it was exciting to feel like, I belonged in that race and was able to be competitive in that race. That's it for part one of my conversation with Jillian Bennett. Next week, we'll have part two, where we will discuss the second half of the 2022 season, and we will try to figure out how to make lemonade from life's lemons when we can. You can follow us on Instagram and let us know if you're enjoying the podcast or if there's anything else you'd like to hear us cover. We'd love to hear from you. This Friday, check out our episode, Win Pro Nats Part B. That will drop Friday morning. People enjoyed Part A, and we're excited to be able to bring you the next part of that series. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.